Hello and welcome to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. And on today's podcast, Austin is back and we talked NBA playoffs thus far. We started out talking about the DeAndre Ayton situation. We touched on the offseason of the 76ers and the Memphis Grizzlies. And then we gave out some mid-playoff awards. It's a really good conversation. We went a little long, so let's jump right into it. All right, welcome back. We are now joined by our director of basketball content, Austin Vernon. Austin, it is your third time back on the pod. I really appreciate it. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be back. I've been enjoying the show as a fan in between my uh, sessions on the pod. The the reports of the, the early uh, comments that I get and the numbers supported, too, that our conversations are some of the most listened to and best conversations. People love hearing us talk some hoops. So uh, glad that we can get the band back together and put something out. As we enter round three, I was just thinking about it, and it's we have 75% of the teams eliminated, but we have the teams that are left 50% towards their goal. Like you try and win 16 games, but everyone who's left is 1-8, and we're started with 16 teams, and we're down to four. It's a good way to look at it. Um, it does feel like we've been watching a lot of basketball. To say that there's 50% left feels like, wow, that's a lot. Um, but we've gotten some great series, so I'm, I'm happy as a fan. Yeah, I don't think we have 50% amount of games left, but the teams that remain right. are 50% towards their goal. I, I calculated that we had, I think it was 49 games between the play-in and the first round was 49 games, and then the second round was 26 games, which was remarkable because it was a possible 28. We had two, game, two series go six games and two series go seven games. So we got 26 out of 28 possible games, which was amazing for me as a better and an NBA fan. Uh, still cleaning up over here on the advantage. Love to hear it, and love to hear that you have those stats on hand. Those are those are awesome. Um, I, I mean, obviously we've been lucky. The the two game sevens uh, were not my favorite game sevens of all time, obviously, but I'll still take all no. four of those series over uh, expectation every time. Yeah, I think. Um, even though we got two game sevens, it actually came from what I thought was the best series in Celtics Bucks mm-hmm. or C's Bees, as I have kept saying. And I hope the C's Bees comes back again. But um, I actually thought the worst series of them all was Mavs Suns because none of the games were close. There was so much a shooting variance that it wasn't actually fun to watch any of the games. It was hard to get a grip of the storylines around that series. That was actually my least favorite series, even though it went seven games. That's interesting. You know, as for me, the uh, Grizzlies Warriors was probably the least, but I I liked the Mavs uh, Sun series because even in the games that eventually got out of hand, uh, the Suns talked so much shit. Luca talked so much shit. It was so intense going back and forth that even when it was getting towards that, these teams were playing so hard. They hated each other. I mean, it, it really seems like a lot of the teams, now that they're out, it's easy to hate, but hated. The Suns, that, you know, if you're going to talk the most, all 82 games, 82 games is a lot of games, people aren't going to like you by the end. Um, agreed. So let's kind of start with Mavs and Suns in that regard. I did want to give you a chance to sort of victory lap some of the things that you've said on the pod previously, because you what you've said has contributed a lot to the gambling advice that I've given, which has been very profitable. So like, whether it be that you thought the Mavs and the Celtics were the two teams that were going to advance pretty far or 
whether it was the role players that you thought were going to be very relevant and the first person you said was Finney Smith. Uh, what else do you think that you've kind of nailed so far that you want to tip your own cap to yourself? Oh, I mean, I appreciate all the flowers you're giving me. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back all day, but you, you touched on some of my winners. Yeah, probably um, when the Mavs were in fifth place with a, a few weeks left in the season and the Celtics in fourth, and you had us pick one in each. Um, and then I think you also had us pick a, a, a more front runnery one or, a, or a, it was the first seed at the time, the Heat, but that no one liked them. And I was like, yeah, but they're going to wind up in the, the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'll, I'll take those. I, I appreciate that. Obviously, uh, your, your betting numbers speak for themselves. I, I won't take credit there, but congratulations on the hot start. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. There All right, go. so what we're going to do um, today is one topic that I wanted to start off cleaning up is because I released a podcast last night after the Game 7s. I kind of had a reaction, but I did it before watching the press conference of Phoenix Mavs. I honestly did it in, like, mid-fourth quarter of that game when it was just over. I just started recording. Um, but... One thing I mentioned was I really thought DeAndre Ayton, I knew it was going to be a storyline, but ultimately I concluded that, like, I think this guy is going to be back. And the reasons that I gave were um, he was the number one pick in his draft, and they still invested a number one pick in him. So they don't. I don't think they're going to let someone that they've invested in a number one pick walk for nothing. I think that would just be really foolish. Second thing is... You have a team that's very win now, and given the NBA salary cap rules and the availability of other players, it becomes very hard to replace DeAndre Ayton in their system and what they do. I didn't think he was that at fault for some of the playoff uh, inconsistencies that they had as a team. I thought like it was more than just Ayton. Um, he's been switchable. He's shown to be versatile in the playoffs. He's pretty good. He can... You know, he, could, he he had some 20-point games, and he had some really good defensive games. So I don't think Aiton was the problem. Um, so I said, ultimately, I think they keep him. I think they work out, you know, like a three, uh, a four for 100 or a five for 120 type of deal. And I'm like, even though Aiton's probably not worth 20 to $30 million a year in the context of the league, it's you have to do it in context of the Suns, and it's kind of just worth it for them to keep the band together and just give him his money. Yeah, I mean, I think those are good points. I think even if he's not a son, which obviously it looks less like he will be now, and I'll, I'll get into some of that, I feel like there's been ah, – let's start there. I've, I've read a bunch of things on RNBA today that it sounds like they've been covering up some of his discontent there. He had been getting into it with Monty. Obviously, the contract stuff bothered him. I, I accused Monty of giving up on the Suns mid-game and Monty had to come call him out and they got sort of separated on the bench didn't see it live saw the the RNBA um there's a clip of him saying I can't pass myself the ball okay um I I do think he'll probably get too much of the blame because now he'll, he'll be against the Sun fan base and some of the the Suns beloved like like Monty even though Sarver isn't exactly the, the Suns beloved but I don't think they'll give him up I think it'll be a sign in trade someone who agrees and wants to pay him the max they'll come up with some arrangement where you know the Suns will sign him for the max and then ship him off there and the Suns will get something decent for him right I would I would think so I think ultimately like if you were going to put odds at this you would say like I think bringing him back is still probably the favorite of the situations but then, yeah, sign-and-trade has to be number two. I thought the um, 
fact that he played 17 minutes and then his post-game press conference when he was like, you know, made, made a few comments. And then there was a story that I saw that came out recently that says he like games, he plays video games all throughout the wee hours of the night and like doesn't sleep is not a priority for Aiton. And, and the reason why he plays video games is like a solid mental escape for him. And then like something related back to the gaming and like his immaturity of like being able to handle some of these moments. And I'm just like, when these articles start coming out from your local beats, that's when like, something's just wrong and it's hard to turn the page back. You know, it's hard to get back on track. So then I'm like, yeah, it might just be sign and trade situation, which then has me wondering like, what are the potential options? So have you heard anything? Do you want to, uh, have you read anything? Have you, um, I mean, I know me and you are not talking to sources, but are we like able to plot a few names or places that might make sense? I did hear uh, in doing some of my own research for this pod with you tonight, that something I did not know, which was he was almost traded for Sabonis at the deadline. That Phoenix called uh, the Pacers to inquire about Sabonis Aiton related things. So that is very eyebrow raising. I mean, Sabonis obviously not still available. That's very eyebrow raising in the sense of that they were willing to break up this group mid-season and those problems existed where do you think he might go now so of the ones that i had had seen and there could be more already uh, portland and sacramento were two and sacramento made less sense now because they already have sabonis i don't know how that works out but i didn't i didn't click into it too deeply portland makes more sense to me could it be a pivot off sabonis already Maybe I don't. I don't know how they plan to play them together. I mean, those are two. Those are two big men who uh, kind of both occupy similar areas where they both, you know, yeah, mid range no don't extend. Yeah, right. So, but I don't know how they plan to do that. Portland made more sense to me. Okay, you play him with Dame, and then it's like you get a little bit of the roller where he can throw it up high, and you get a little bit of the mid range. You take some pressure off, and he's kind of you younger. Sign and sign Josh Hart. You try and, and draft. Yep, Allo. I like Josh Hart. I mean, going going back to what you said earlier about uh, the video game thing. I mean, I'm not comparing Aiton to Embiid, but that those were the exact reports that all the Philly beat writers were saying. And and then Embiid confirmed later once he got over it, saying that for whatever reason he couldn't couldn't stop with with the, the late night FIFA sessions, couldn't stop eating the way he was eating, not really focusing. And so even though at those times he was saying the right things, like Aiton has at times in his press conferences. Uh, you're, you're probably right. He's probably just not there yet. But when, once he does get there, he could be a really valuable guy. He's really young. Dude, he's 23. I just looked it up. Yeah. And he's one of those guys that's better in the playoffs than the regular season. Not necessarily because he, he elevates his game mentally, but because his game is just suited for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Whoever gets him is going to be lucky. He's kind of like he could become like a bigger version of Bam. Ooh, I like that. I mean, if he can get on one of those, I mean, playing for the Heat helps, but one of those defensive-minded teams, great coaches that can teach him a system that builds around what he does well and kind of hides maybe a little of the lateral quickness stuff, I, the, the sky is the limit. He would be a great defensive asset. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not projecting him going to Miami, but like a, a fit like that, a culture like that, a... Uh, maybe San Antonio, maybe maybe even San Dallas. Antonio was on the list. Great call, San Antonio. By the way, I mean, the I like San all Antonio those picks. San Antonio. I also thought 
the two that I thought and I hadn't seen any places was uh, I just brought back up the Pacers because they have Miles Turner. I think the Pacers are looking to see what their group looks like with Miles Turner. But then my thought was it just might be a nice coup for the Suns to bring in a guy who's still an elite rim protector who can then also hit the three. Might be a better fit for Phoenix than Aiton provides. But then my other thought was Charlotte, because we all know Charlotte's been looking for a center. And to pair someone with LaMelo and Aiton, who's 23 years old, you could pay Aiton now. You don't really have many other guys that you're paying up for. You have LaMelo cheap for another few years and then restricted, so you know you'll be able to re-sign LaMelo. So you could, you know, eight and LaMelo and see what that becomes. DA runs the floor well for a big man. I like that in terms of the way that LaMelo moves the ball up the floor. I mean, as you're as you're talking about this, I, I'm thinking that, yeah, whoever gets him is lucky, but a lot of the teams we're talking about getting him are, you know, building teams. I'm looking forward to see who, if this happens, who the Suns get for him because the Suns are already good without him. I know... People are down on them after that blowout loss. But if, if they even improve from this, I mean, they could continue to be a really good team, a competing team, a contending team. Let's talk about uh, another team that was just recently eliminated. We, I want to talk about the 76ers and the Grizzlies. I'll give you the floor. Which one do you want to talk about first? Let's start with the Sixers. All right. Sixers just eliminated as well. Going into what might be, this this is the similarity between the two situations. It has the potential to be a stable offseason where you just bring it back and hope for better results. It has a potential to be a tumultuous offseason where you're constantly looking for up the right upgrades and you have to press the right buttons. So that's where I'm wondering what is the direction or what do you project the direction to be of the 76ers. We'll run through a few questions. As always, me and you talk about the coaches. Let's start with the coach. Do we think Doc's coming back? Yes, we think Doc's coming back. I think Moriarty made a very definitive statement. He's not even like waiting around for Doc exit interviews. But then there was a follow-up that's saying, you know, that's that's his style, that, that he's definitely, or it seems he's definitely back for this year. But that may not mean that Maury is sold on him long-term. I actually think both of these teams, and we'll start with the Sixers, are not going to have such crazy off-seasons that, that the pressure from the fans and media will certainly be there, especially for the Sixers, but that they'll pretty much hold pack. They hadn't seen a Harden season with them or a healthy Harden, um, but... Uh, um, or, or really the Harden and Bede connection playing out of, over a whole year. I don't, I don't know where Harden comes back in terms of his level of play, but I think they want to at least find out. Maxi takes another step in the right direction. Um, I, I know that you're not a big Doc fan, but I, I don't know if, if, if Doc might not be there long term. I think he's there one year, but I don't know if he was the problem. So I know I'm not a big Doc guy. I know I've said I would bet the house on taking the Doc firing situation or Doc no longer coaching situation. I'm actually, this is something I'm changing my mind on, not because I'm upping my support of Doc Rivers, but just because what I'm hearing, like I listened to some uh, Philadelphia beat writer on a podcast today, and he was like, yeah, Doc's coming back. Like, they're not getting rid of Doc. You can listen to what Maury's been saying. You can listen, you can look at the contract situations that everyone has. And that's the next thing I want to talk about. So, okay, so if you think Doc's going to come back, mm-hmm. let's talk about the rest of the pieces, right? So we have Maxi is still, you know, he's a flower that's blossoming. He's still cheap 
for two more years until he's restricted. The two-year situation is key. Tobias has two more years on his contract as well. Um, he's obviously paid way too much for his role, but either way, he's still there on the team, and he shined in the playoffs. He was, was going to say playoffs. coming off his best postseason. So, I've called I've called him translucent Tobias. He was you know the most visible player on the 76ers roster this postseason. So shout out Tobias for changing my perception on him. Um, he's still there. Uh, they just locked up Embiid. So Embiid's extension actually starts this this season. So they have Embiid for four more years and then a player option fifth. We'll see if he you know sticks that out. But you have at least the reason why the two years on Maxi and Tobias is important because if you think about the way that superstars kind of angle their contract situations and then ask out. If you if you think two more years down the road and then you have p- the potential for Embiid to say he would turn down his player option, Embiid could then say with if it's, nothing happens within the next two seasons, he might be looking for his way out the door that, like, you know, he gave the city all he's got and they just haven't been able to get over the hump. Like, what else can he do? Which I wouldn't blame Embiid for. Um, so, and then, and then you bring in the Harden free agency situation and Harden has his $44 million player option, or he could turn it down. I said we're not going to discuss whether James Harden gets a max because he's simply, I'll, I'll start and end the discussion right now, he's not getting a max. But, like, what what can we hope for James Harden? Is the ideal situation to get him to sign his player option, or are we just hoping to sign James Harden for maybe, like, a two-year, $60 million contract and just run this group back for two more seasons. I think he's definitely staying with the Sixers, and I think he definitely gets at least what CP got in Phoenix. And it's probably closer to the max, but I know you don't want to discuss it, so we don't have to go any further. So you think he gets like four years and like 120, and 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 gets it's not what CP did was not that close to the max. CP three turn CP three turned down like 50 million dollars a year and is getting. He turned down uh, one year one. of one year of that max that was like forty for yes for for three years of uh, or four years of like thirty average each and I think that given his age and how well CP has done that that's a good contract for Phoenix I think that I that there's no way that Daryl Morey makes that trade and, and is okay to let him walk there's no way that there's not a team that would pay. Uh, Harden the max that needs to build around a guy like that. He's he's they don't know that he's washed yet. We don't know what percentage of that was the injury or you know being traded in midseason and already having problems in in New Jersey and and you know mentally or physically or whatever that is. Um, but I, I I mean I think that that Harden's getting his money and I think it'll be in Philly because they want to keep him. He might take less to stay in Philly with Embiid and and work around there, but. Uh, I mean, there's still a market for Harden. I think the I think the CP3 contract makes a lot of sense. I think maybe the way they the way they structured CP3s, and I talked about this on the last pod, was that they um, they uh, dipped CP3's contract this year because this is the year where Aiton's due for his payday. Booker is potentially owed like a supermax extension, um, so CP3 is getting. Uh, specifically less money this coming season, like this summer going into next season, and then it goes back up again. Um, the the I would think that the 76ers would do something similar for like three seasons from now, when they would have to pay Maxi, when they would potentially have 
room room off Tobias. So maybe if they give um, Harden a four-year contract, we see something in the third year where there's like a dip that allows Philadelphia to have some flexibility. Because the, the situation on the cap really doesn't matter for the next two seasons. That's what we've come to learn. Um, like a good move. Here's my, here's my Harden situation. Yeah. These are, the, these are the Harden discussions I wanted to have. What is actually wrong with Harden? Can I give you my Harden take and then you respond to it? Yeah. I think Harden is the basketball version of a running back. Where if you think about his body and the way he's played the game, he's taken more hits and gotten to the free throw line and fallen to the ground more times and given his size and running into the lane and just taking contact constantly, constantly, constantly absorbing contact Harden for the last few years. Then you think in the offseason, he's immediately playing in the Drew League games. He's playing on Team USA. The guy never stops playing basketball. He might not be in the best shape, but what I see his decline more akin to is the amount of contact that he's taken over the last, like, six, seven years and just being beaten up instead of being, like, you know, oh, he's too overweight or uh, he's out of shape. Like, I don't think he's out of shape. I think he's, like, probably, like, just sore and doesn't recover the same and he's just gotten physically beaten up and his, you know, 32 is not a normal basketball player's 32. It's more like football running backs. I mean, that could totally be. I do think it's underrated, the contact he's taken, because he's such a sizable dude and he dishes contact out too. And, and you do tend to think of, you know, the, the smaller framed guys, the guys, less strong guys, as the ones that their bodies take more of a beating. Um, but he's, you know, he's, he's dishing it out and, and he's taking it. Uh, also, he does love the game. He plays a ton. But I think that in Harden's career – when we've seen him at his best at his peak and his peak is so, so high, it's only been once he's gotten into a consistent situation. It, it took him a little while in OKC to, to get to kind of find the six man role and then make it work. And then it took him not long in, in, uh, in Houston because he was given the ball right away, but we didn't realize that his peak was so far away from that. And once he, once he was comfortable and confident and knew he had the greenest of lights. He, he was great. S- similar in New Jersey, not right away. Um, what I think is that he just had too, too weird of a season. I mean, maybe there was more to the injury than we realized, but I can't really speculate there, so we'll talk more about um, just, just what happened. He, he was not clearly not getting along with either the teammates and or the management in New Jersey, probably both. The Kyrie situation was weird for him. Um, got traded late, seemed happy there, but, but you know, it's, you can't learn a whole, a whole team's deal. And what was it? The last month of the season? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, mean, I honestly think that the CP, I'm, I'm continuing to think about it, Austin, the CP3 yeah. comp might be a great comp for Harden now. Cause just projecting forward to next season, like what's Harden's role for this team? Like maybe it's just a, you know, 14 and 10 guy, 14 and mm-hmm. nine guy, like, that's what he's looking at. He's looking at picking his spots, trying like the the difference would be that CP3 picks his spots and takes over a fourth quarter. Harden picks his spots and takes over a second quarter when they already have the lead. So it's like it's it's less impactful. But hopefully Harden can develop to the point where he's he's an incredibly intelligent basketball. He's always one of the Absolutely. smartest players out of the board. Yep. Like his his savvy for the game. 
the way he knows his angles, contact, floor spacing, like, he's always going to be a good shooter, even though he wasn't great in some stretches with the Sixers. He's always going to be a great shooter. So, like, I do think he's kind of fit perfectly into that CP3 role. That's what you're hoping for to the next few seasons. I like that. And he's obviously a great passer, not just numbers-wise. He really is a great passer. I, I will say that now that you have me thinking CP... I remember at the end of that CP uh, Harden combo in in Houston, Harden was you know one of the best three basketball players in the world, and coming up, and people were like, "Is CP washed?" And CP redefined his whole career, whether it was veganism or whatever, and now is better than he was probably at, at the end of that. So if he can do that at his age, then you know whatever whatever is dogging Harden right now he I'm confident I mean I don't know if he will but he is capable of reinventing himself and taking another step if he wants in his career what, what do you actually attribute CP3's resurgence to like I think he, he's like, I think it's the way he ate yeah I really do I mean he was he he's who knows he might have some secret sauce too and he's taking some crazy meds that we don't know about but when he talks on podcasts and stuff he says he just 100% changed the way he ate and take care of his body sounds like he moved into that you know one to three million dollar LeBron take care of your body category where he was yeah. just ca- carrying much less weight, much more flexible. I mean, and, and it's not like part of his strategy is taking the, the season off. When he wasn't injured, he played too much during the regular season, I would have said. So I, I think that his and strategy was, yeah, intense, yeah, right. I mean, there's clearly no, no like 50% for him. He's, he's, if you like, ain't first, you're last. It's a Tuesday in November, Chris. Relax. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The season is so long. <laughs> right? Hey, it's Wednesday in February, dude. Chill. Yeah, exactly. All right. um, let's uh, talk about the Grizzly situation now. Are you projecting, you said, you know, you don't think it's going to be that tumultuous of a situation for both. I want to just compare, I want to run a few teams that this Grizzlies team potentially reminds me of. Mm-hmm. And I want you to, like, either react or place them where you think they might fall into, like, what recent teams that we've seen that this Grizzlies squad might resemble. So, dating all the way back, I was thinking it might be the OKC Thunder, where they had Durant, Westbrook, and Harden, and Ibaka, and I'm not talking about it from a perspective of their guys play the same, although you could compare John Westbrook pretty similarly you, you might be able to compare Bain and Harden in the development sense. Um, body type's kind of the same. Um, certainly they don't have a Durant. Uh, maybe Triple J is their Baca. But anyways, the main comparison is uh, they were a very small market team that couldn't pay to keep their guys and ultimately broke up the core because they couldn't pay all the extensions, right? So that is one. The Grizzlies are the smallest market team What's the concern level for that? Do you want me to run through? Or you want to respond? To no, me let's yeah, one? let's talk about that. I mean, right off the bat, <clears throat> I can't help but think that the biggest uh, overlap is that you know Ja Westbrook is everyone's favorite comparison. So I'm happy you said that. That's not you know the reason that that you line these teams up. Um, unless I, you know something about the Memphis owner that I don't, I think the small market is more of an effect on. Can you get players to sign? Can you get players to come? If you already have them and you're willing to pay the money, and it does sound like 
like Jaws willing to stay, which really motivates a lot of other people. I have no reason to think that they, they won't be willing to pay people. Will their contracts line up and they, will they be able to pay people all at the same time, which is probably what you're pointing out also? Maybe not. So maybe maybe they, they make some trades over there. They love trading with L.A. They're too young. L.A.'s too old. Maybe they could do something more more win now. Who knows? But I think for the most part that they that they do keep this, this young piece together. Who, who's your next team? Uh, the next team was the Utah Jazz, in the sense that they had young stars in Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, uh, and then they realized, okay, wow, we are kind of overachieving, even though we are youthful. Let's push in the chips now while we can. We are, again, a small market team. We don't get many cracks at this. We might have a chance right now. Let's push in some of the pieces. They actually traded with the Grizzlies back then. Uh, they traded some of their first-round picks two first-round picks, brought in Mike Conley. They signed, uh, they traded another first round for Bogdanovich and then signed him to a huge deal. Um, that is, comp it, I is love. Now, is now, and yeah, we all praise the Jazz for doing it. We thought it was the right decision. It didn't work out in hindsight, but I still would have done it again if I could, like, get in a time machine. I would do it. Who knows if I would bring in Conley and Bogdanovich, but I would push, the, I would push in the chips. So, so who... Do the Grizzlies push in the chips now? Do they they have a stockpile of assets? They have a bunch of young players on good contracts. They have all of their picks. They have other teams' picks. They have high value assets in the future. Do they push some of their chips in now? Or do they wait and and then this is the third team I'll talk about is the Boston Celtics. Are they more like the Boston Celtics? Where they, let's let's do the jazz uh, first before I forget all your great comps there. I because because this one yeah. I think is is the most on point to me, and that, that is absolutely what I hope they do. I mean, the, one of the first things that came to mind was can Taylor Jenkins be there, Quinn Snyder? Because because Quinn really uh, attracted players. He was great. Taylor Jenkins coming off a a runner up coach of the year season, which really just means you overachieved for the most part. Did not look great. Uh, in the playoffs, seem to admit that a little bit, and I do think there's room for him to grow and improve with the team. But I love that comp. I just hope that, like you said, their Conley and Bogdanovich picks turn out better. That's all they need. Or, or they double down on who they have now. I mean, if if they do that, I love the steps that that all their guards took forward. Bain. I mean, we didn't see the steps Brooke took forward because he he really was hurt all year. But he's he's the kind of guy who you need in the playoffs. He's a dog. He fought for them in that closeout game, almost won it, 30, 30, maybe 30-something for them. Um, but what they need is is Jaron Jackson Jr. to take the next step. They, they can't do this without bringing in another piece if he continues to be what he is on offense. He, he should be able to take the next step. He kind of has a decent handle for someone his size and length, can really shoot, even though it's ugly, it goes in. Why can't he contribute on offense? I don't understand, but defensively, great. Um, did you see what the Grizzlies already had their like exit interviews? Did you see what came out of some of those media reports? No, what came out? So like each player like walked out with like a, a piece of paper with like stuff to work on. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, Jaws, Jaws was like defense. Uh, uh, Baines was like shot creation um, and passing. Uh, 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 Dylan Brooks was like s seeing out of the double team and, and was some, something like like very simple things, right? And then Triple J comes out, and he's just like s seven pages long, <laughs> and like a, a 
laundry list of things and topics. And, and, you know, it's kind of a joke that like, oh, he's got a lot to improve on. But the flip side of that goes exactly to what you're talking about. The Grizzlies room and path for improvement is through Triple J developing and taking on more of a role for this team and becoming a guy who has more offensive responsibility and then can create and generate from what he could do offensively. Because he's kind of like a mismatch everywhere he is on the court. Yes. I mean, I, again, so, like I know we're sort of laughing at him, but the reason there's so much to improve on is not because he's a bum. It's because he has such high potential. Right. And he was the fourth pick in between Trey and Luca. So I think that will, you know, right. we talked about Aiton. We talked about, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss Luca at some point, I'm sure. Uh, we got Triple J and, and Trey. Like, that was a sick top five. Who was the other? Oh, Bagley was the other one. Oh, God. I know. I know. I uh, feel bad Bagley's in there. And obviously, he's on the Kings. I mean, again, I if we're patting if we're patting me on the back for some earlier calls, I thought that Bagley was going to be a good NBA player. Again, the, the NBA might have been a little <laughs> different then, but I, you know, I I went to Duke and I'm a Duke hater. So I, if I think someone from Duke is going to be a good NBA player, it tends to mean that I think you know Duke misused them at some point in time. We could get more out of them, and uh, I was really wrong. He has not been anywhere close to the other five there. So I actually have a Duke uh, conversation for you in the next topic, but let's yeah. let's quickly finish up this Grizzlies. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with that stuff. Um, Perfect. So so we don't need to go into speculation, but you into who those pieces are. But you kind of think Grizzlies should be surveying who's available and looking this offseason to to pair someone. And then that brought me into my next point of like, are they kind of like the Boston Celtics where they don't really do that? And they kind of just hold on tight. Like, I think the Celtics had a chance to get Kawhi, had a chance to get AD, and they just didn't do that. They never traded Brown when he was young. They never traded Tatum. They didn't go all in when they had, like, Kyrie and Horford and those guys. They were they waited, and now they're seeing, you know, all of that hard work and development pay off. Are the Grizzlies a team that you just keep this core together and you see them breaking through? I do like keeping them together. In terms of the Celtics, I will not. I will say that uh, not trading for AD was not for lack of effort. They tried to put every package together possible, and uh, people were not trading with Ainge and and not not giving up AD to the Celtics. But I think that all of the early calls to split up the Jays was crazy. I mean, again, like even if they didn't pull it all together defensively and go on such a hot run to start the playoffs, it still would have been wrong. So yes, I think that the Grizz should keep their young core together, that hopefully Triple J evolves into part of that core where he's like a big piece. They continue to maybe attract, you know, a complementary piece, not a, you know, split everything up, build around Ja again piece. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're looking to trade like Melton and Zaire and those, maybe Brandon Clark even. They're not looking to trade, you know, Bain Brooks, Ja. I hope that's why Zaire got all those minutes because they were showcasing him for an offseason trade opportunity. That's a good, that's a great call. All right, let's take a quick break. Um, I got to grab my charger and then we will come back. We're going to do some NBA playoff awards thus far. Sounds good. All right, welcome back. What we're going to do now is Austin and I are going to go through some mid-playoff awards. I wrote down some names of some awards and gave some topics to discuss. So what I will do is I will read the superlative name and then the nominees. And then Austin can either choose a winner or what he wants to respond to. Kind of open floor to discuss some topics. Full disclosure, um, 
that I sent Austin these topics a week ago. So it was before the game five, six, and sevens of each series. So some of the storylines have changed a little bit. We can add in some awesome storylines thus far. So as we go through it, maybe we can even add a, you know, recent nominee. Number one, the best We Are Here moment award goes to. The nominations were the Timberwolves winning the play-in game and Pat Bev jumping on the scorer's table. Uh, so am I waiting for you to read all of yours or can I comment right, <laughs> comment right off the bat here? <laughs> if you, do, you want, do you want to comment off the bat yeah, on this I one? Mean, you want first me to read of all, I, I love the We're Here moment award category. After Pat Bev just did his interview yesterday or today about – Chris Paul with St uh, the Stephen A interview going off about how he, you know, he's he goes to bed the night early and tells his girl not to call if it's Steph Curry. No one does that for Chris Paul. He's a terrible defender. Like going out of his way to slander this man. Um, no matter what, not picking this moment. I like like a wolves are here for this, but I am I am selling Papev. My second my second nomination still wolves. It's Carl Anthony Towns. Kissing to the crowd after the Memphis loss, perfectly combining the we'll be back message while also having the face of I've played 22 years and thank you for everything because I'm retiring. <laughs> <laughs> Nomination yeah. three. Steph Curry goes up to Ja Morant after round two, game one, and says, we're going to have some fun. Ja follows that up by going up to Steph after game two and says, we're going to have some fun. Jose Alvarado showing anyone who will look that Chris Paul bumped him and his lip is still bleeding, even on May 16th. The nomination that I'll throw in now, because I just thought of it, okay. is the Heat winning and Jimmy saying, you chose Tobias over me? Wow. If, if the Heat hadn't already been here for so many years, that would be my favorite moment, because talk about... What stung the most as a uh, Sixers fans? It wasn't almost losing to the Raptors. It wasn't embarrassingly uh, losing in the second round. It was finding out that Jimmy wanted to stay, and they fucking blew it. That <laughs> that was unbelievable. A stab in the heart. <laughs> Can, wait, wait. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a quick yeah. tangent, Jimmy Butler thing. Let me ask you this. Um, we have that Jimmy Butler spouse spat. Is there? Is there any world that, like, Jimmy Butler could want out of Miami and be signed and trade for Harden? I mean, anything is possible just, with, with someone who... Is and move on? He, he, is, he is such, like, sort of a wild card sort of guy. I think he fits there so perfectly that he's not moving on. I certainly think that him and Spo having a spat says nothing about his move-on ability. I think, if anything, it's just that Jimmy's like a wild card, and he could always just move on, want new things, who knows what, but he fits well there, and he knows it. Okay. All right. Let's move on. So um, the, which, which one are you taking for the best we're here moment? So, so for me, essentially, this boils down to Memphis, uh, Minnesota, or uh, New Orleans, and I'm going with the Pelicans. I, I mean, I think that the, the CJ trade was huge. Jose Alvarado was exactly what you're describing, the embodiment of we're here – they're the eight seed or that fought their way into the playoffs. Maybe should have been the nine seed. I don't know. Um, had to play two play-in games. They look great. They fought Chris Paul. They're like new out of nowhere. Rando Jose Alvarado fought Chris Paul the whole series. So that that was sort of the feel-good like underdog 
um, embodiment there. But it's it's more than that. It's it's that they got CJ to come, that BI looked great in the playoffs, and that now they have Zion potentially coming back, and it's okay. Now it went from this could be a disaster to we're excited. This went from David Griffin is exiled from the NBA to David Griffin is getting an extension. I it, I mean, that is, there was no one who was more on the line for this than David Griffin, who, who after getting uh, slandered by J.J. Redick in, in his exit, and I love, I love J.J., um, would, would have actually, you're right, not have gotten a job for, you know, whatever it is, two, three years till they forget. All right, the next award. Best I've been here before. Moment goes to the LeBron tweets, a constant reminder that he's still there and he's been here before. Draymond's, quote, been ejected for less comment, perfectly calling back his tech and suspension in the NBA Finals versus Cleveland. Doc Rivers' press conference defending all of his past series, letting people know that he's also been in this situation before. The face of every jazz player realizing they are blowing another series and thinking, I've been here before. Or Chris Paul in any game once the fourth quarter starts. That was written shortly after his 14 for 14. But you could also say Chris Paul in the moment of losing after being up 3-2 yet again is another game seven I've been here before face. I mean, so isn't, be it, isn't it wild that those could both be viable options for this award? It, it shows you how big this playoffs is or now was for Chris Paul. Cause you and I were talking about him potentially going to the final slash winning. And if he wins what, you know, Mount Rushmore tier of point guard is he, and now he loses and it just like fits into the, the context that every Chris Paul hater loves to, um, loves to put forward. So, wow, that was a big swing. My, my pick here, though, and I'll, I'll expand for even more recently. So your second option is the Draymond's been ejected for less comment, perfectly calling back uh, his tech and suspension in the NBA Finals versus Cleveland. I'll put all of the, the Warriors' holier-than-thou conduct in the, in the Grizzly series where, you know, after Dylan Brooks takes out uh, Gary Payton Jr. In a, in a dangerous play, but not so on basketball Lee. Um, Steve Kerr, who I love getting in the press conference saying that he broke the code. He broke the code again. This like, Oh, the Warriors and all the real teams. We know about the code. The NBA knows the code. And this guy is, you know, uh, somehow like a a criminal in in the NBA. He broke the code. So now the series is over. Uh, uh, Gary Payton Jr. Has said it was a basketball play and they're all chill, which is cool. And I get every coach and player and everyone takes every advantage that they can get. But um, not cool. So I'm going to give it to the, the, the best we've been here or worst or most, most significant we've been here moment is the Warriors trying to big dick the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. I like it. All right. Best coaching performance so far. Celtics sweeping the nets and the Durant defensive game plan of Adoka. The Mavericks beating the Jazz and being up 2-1 without Luka. Spo and the Miami Heat causing, you ready for this phrasing, the ice tray to melt down. Hey. Or Nick, or Nick Nurse going with five players who are 6-8 and st- starting Scotty Barnes at point guard and Preston Chua at the five. 
I would say the current nomination we need to throw in is obviously Jason Kidd and yep. his screaming to Dorian Finney-Smith, Jason Kidd being the sixth defender on the court is what I'll put it as. Yep, I, I loving that, yelling at Dodo to stay home. Uh, so we love to see that. And again, obviously, that's everyone's favorite uh, juxtaposition to the most hated on Steve Nash these days, who, you know, they sort of had similar NBA careers. Now they're both coaching. Jason Kidd's out there screaming, get in the corner. Nash, you know, is arms folded, you know, sitting back. Not that I think... Uh, Nash did nothing or or deserves 100% of, of the hate that he's getting. Um, but I like, oh, how wow, you just did the, I like how you just did the things in real life. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if our, if our listeners can hear that. But when you're if, on if YouTube could, one day, I'll... When I do clip this for social, it'll be one of the things <laughs> yeah, that I do clip. Perfect. All right, continue. Um, I mean, this is both of our favorite categories, I think, because we just love talking about uh, the coaches. So you know that I would love to give. So I want to hear who you who you take also after this, by the way. But you know I want to give this to Jason Kidd yelling on, on the sidelines, especially after they just finished that series and, and took out the Suns. But I think I have to give it to Ime Udoka, who has f- starting his, his best coaching performance in the playoff run, deciding to not throw the last game of the series, but take the win and come up with the second seed, play the Nets, who they were like, if we're going to win a championship, then we're going to have to beat everybody. Um, Playing the Nets, beating the Nets in the first round, which in and of itself and the way that they game plan Durant is the first option on your best coaching performances. And then he tops that in the second round by having his his decision to to get the higher seed and play game seven at home come in handy. Um, in addition to the way that he game-planned uh, uh, Giannis and, and really caused both Giannis and Drew Holiday to have pretty inefficient series uh, compared to their standards other than you know the last two minutes of that game five. Um, so I'm, I'm giving the best coaching performance to rookie head coach Ime Udoka. I think those were the obvious two choices, and I would agree with the outcome. I mean, if, if the Celtics go from beating Nets Bucks, Heat, and then either Mavs or Warriors. Like, that is an epic run to a title. Best run ever? I mean, that's a conversation. Who has played? No, I'm sorry. Best run ever is too vague the way I say that. Are those the four best teams that you could play? If we, if we get the war, if we get the Warriors, we could have a real discussion about it. I don't know if, if we get the Mavs. If we get the Mavs, we'll that's, have to look. That's we'll interesting. I mean, I am. Others. It is true. I'm so focused on the fact that both the Nets and the Bucks are championship caliber teams and they've already beat them in the first two rounds. But yes. Yeah, so yeah, and, and the Heat are going into their sixth conference finals in the last 12 years too. So yep. Let's yep. And then the team. Warriors so, will be potential dynasty. So I'm already saying a thousand percent yes if it's Warriors. <laughs> okay. So um, let's continue. Player yep. who made the most money not named Jalen Brunson compared to what they would have made without this postseason run. So, like, who's crushing it? Who's having their, like, March Madness that goes from being a no-name to a lottery pick is what I'm pretty much saying. Um, is it Grant Williams? Maxi Kleba? <laughs> Jordan Poole? Brandon Clark? It's funny how I wrote DeAndre Ayton I know, on right? List I'm still looking at the list. <laughs> yeah, how the times have changed. And we're going to cross that name off, even though he's I, – I put that because I, I thought he was going to get the bag. I mean, he had a great Pelican series, 
without Booker. And my uh, prediction is he still gets the max and gets max and trade, but yes. Okay, so, but he didn't make more money than given this postseason. Nope, if anything, um, lost. Exactly. So we'll put him in the next category, which is exactly that question. All right, Max Struess slash Gabe Vincent was the next one. And then I wrote Bruce Brown honorable mention because his 3 and D shooting. And then Tyrese Maxey. Okay, so I'll talk about a couple of those. I mean, first and all, I love Bruce Brown. He had already made his money, I think, in last year's playoffs. And it is a little bit of a case of opportunity because there's such a drop-off in talent after the first three that it's like there's such a hole for people to step up and be role players that are big roles. But So top of the list, Grant Williams. Oh, my God. Is there anyone who played better or outkick their coverage more? The, the Giannis stopper now, huge and essential in the Eastern Conference because Giannis is clearly going to be a force for years to come. And then he also is shooting the 40-plus like, percent, maybe 44, 45 for the series, something crazy high percentage from three-point at actually at significant volume. Yes, you know, his man leaves him more than anybody. Um, but still, the, the only reason that I'm not picking Grant Williams on this list is because he is such a company man, and I see him taking a deal that is lucrative and he earned from this season, but that fits what the Celtics are trying to do long-term, especially if they continue on this postseason. He's, he's the next... So he's the next Jay Crowder then. Oh no, Team no, no. Friendly he's, deals. He's, he's, he's I think an amazing role. Six eight physical body on defense. Stick him in the corner for threes, reliable <laughs> on offense. I mean everything What's you said, difference? fact, 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 fact. And Jay Crowder has had some great runs, especially when he's had to guard LeBron and stepped up, which is exactly what I'm describing with Giannis. So maybe yes, exactly that. It's just that I just watched him play such a good series against the Bucks that I even think Jay Crowder is too low for him, but that's probably just recency bias, and I'm just uh, impressed and depressed that it's because of Grant Williams that uh, the Bucks lost. Grant Williams is um, going to get like 18 million a year. Oh yeah, and contracts just keep going up, so it's hard for us to even talk about now. 20 million, it, right? It yeah, should it's, end it's hard, up. Yeah, it's hard. To I mean, again, who knows if this conversation ever changes to this, but the conversation in terms of people's contracts should always be in percentage of the total salary cap, which is pretty much right. what they talk about with maxes and super maxes, but it should be for everybody. It's just like, what are you going to just like, oh, well, I'll, I'll leave that. So my, my pick here is Jordan Poole. Um, Jordan Poole was great. I don't know how the Warriors are going to pay him. They're not going to be able to, but he's going to get the max extension now. And he had a good regular season. He could have been this, the uh, the most improved player, but to do what he did in the playoffs at his efficiency now, it's, you, you have to max him. It's over. Is he the second best player on the Warriors? Or is it still, or do you go Draymond or Clay? Like- uh, it's no doubt that Draymond is the second best, but you can already have the conversation with Clay. I still think because of, what Clay, um, how he can heat up and how he's just sort of a part of it and they love him so much that it would be hard for me to pick against him. He has a higher ceiling maybe because we've seen what Clay is and if Clay doesn't get back to what he was defensively, then he is not going to be what he was. Even if he, again, I saw him heat up and win that game, he's still going to be great offensively. But part of what made him so unique was that, you know, you put him on the Kyries, that he, he really defended, um, so I guess I have him at Poole as maybe third, but probably fourth, and probably not a part of the Warriors for so much longer because he has to get paid. Brandon Clark's going to be a you know solid. He'll get similar Grant Williams money probably. Uh, and Tyrese Maxey, you think Maxey's a max player? 
Uh, Maxi, eventually, I think he will be or close to, but I think he already had such a great regular season that even though he's been good in the playoffs, I I didn't give him such a boost. The only other name that I would have considered there is Struess, not coming out of nowhere, but the the fact that Duncan Robinson is relegated to to DNPs every night and and Struess steps up. And then in the closeout game, not that, again, not that they needed him. I I thought they were going to win anyway. But in the closeout game, he he wasn't good. He was great. I mean, he was like their leading scorer. He... Was I mean you watched the game? He was everywhere. He was taking up so much of the. Yeah, he might have had a double double. He might have double double. At one, one point, of, he had one sixteen and five games. in the first, in like early in the second quarter. Maybe he was he was playing great, but uh, yeah, no. So he you could say Struess maybe also, except that he's not going to probably shouldn't get it from Miami because if Miami learned anything. They really don't need to pay the Duncan Robinson types, and they can bring people in who shoot threes, can decently defend, teach them their system, stick them in. Yeah, and, but, some, you know. but someone will pay for Struce. I think someone's yeah. also going to take Duncan Robinson off their hands this offseason. Um, all right, player who lost the most money this season compared to what, what they would have made without this postseason run. It's funny that I wrote Jalen Brunson in round two after he was really struggling the start of this series, he came back alive. So Jalen Brunson still getting his back. Uh, James Harden going from should we give him a max to let's just not even talk about it. He's not getting a max. Steven Adams, $17 million this year, $17 million next year. To me, seems relegated for veterans minimum after that because he was played out, played off the court in some of these series. Uh, and then Mike Conley, also, like, is he relegated for minimums only? Who's lost the most money? I think my, I think my answer, looking at the list quickly, is Mike Conley, but there's a few to talk about. I'll, Steven Adams, uh, I think people thought exactly what you thought and then watched uh, Taylor Jenkins put him in, in in the last two games of the series, and he looked really good, changed the tide for them, and, and Jenkins admit that, admitted that he made somewhat of a mistake. I don't know if Steven Adams was going to – get another big deal either way he's old he, he might and he's kind of like not a money grubber you know he, i think he would just go or, to where or he wants a new to era like player yeah kind of like he's, he's kind of go it was kind of going into that veteran that you would just like sign for like mini mle or veterans minimum anyways. yeah so it's, it's got to be mike conley i mean if, it, if duncan robinson didn't just get paid last season there's zero chance that anyone would even be close i've never ever seen anybody go from um, being the starting two and a huge part of the offense and rotation to straight-up DNPs and pretty much no explanation. I mean, the explanation is is that you get 95% of his three-point shooting and then you don't have to deal with his shit defense when you're really trying to win based on defense. But crazy. The no, like, Spo should be asked about it every single like, – make him answer. It's so interesting. I've never seen this. Agreed. Completely agreed. Um, let's move on to the next one. Best Luka Doncic running mate who actually may be available soon. Rudy Gobert, because this is the loudest rumor. Brandon Ingram. Donovan Mitchell. Pascal Siakam. Or any other player that you want to name. So I hate seeing B.I. on the list because I'm so excited to see the Pelicans grow together and B.I. is such a genuine dude and he said he's staying there and growing there and he's excited and C.J. is there and so if he was legitimately available either because he wanted out at all or because 
the the Pels traded him against his will when he was the one who's like growing all these people and hooping all the time. He's such a gym rat. That would that would piss me off. So I hope not. Bi um, the Rudy Gobert rumor is what you hear a, a ton, um, and so that's probably. I don't know. I mean, it's again. I'm such Rudy Gobert is such a polarizing player, and I have been bit of a Rudy Gobert hater so uh, it's not exactly where I think the Mavs or the NBA playoffs game in general is 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 going in the most effective way um and with his contract it's definitely not where I think that their their cap space is best spent so I sort of hope not um someone like Donovan Mitchell I see and it's like can he give you enough without the ball in his hands because Luke is such a ball dominant player that Pascal Siakam if he's actually available, that is the the most exciting answer on this list. I, I love. He was that you definitely put that in there. available. He was definitely available a few months ago. I don't know. Then he had like an absolute amazing. He did going into All Star. Then like it was like we were talking right around All Star when he was heating up. Like should they have actually taken him over Van Vliet because Van Vliet made the All Star, um, right? And then in the second half, clearly the best player on their team. Postseason, he was incredible against the Sixers for the few games. Uh, I don't know if he's still available. I think Nick Nurse might have refallen in love with Siakam, but he that's was smart. definitely available. That's why I said it. Yeah. So um, that, all right, that's let's move on. It's kind of hard yeah. to project. Kind of hard to project who that's going to be. Um, all right, I'm going to skip the next one too because we've talked yep. about a lot of those players. Most impactful trade, positive or negative, besides the Simmons Harden trade, because that's what everyone's talking about. Again, we were going to say we were going to talk about things. Under discussed. So let's talk about the most impactful trade besides Simmons Harden. Celtics getting Derek White and getting rid of Schroeder. Porzingis being traded for Dinwiddie and Bertans. Bucks trading DiVincenzo for Ibaka and now Middleton goes down. Or CJ to the Pelicans and kind of igniting that franchise. Love this question, and um, I'm picking two. I'm picking a short-term and a long-term. My long-term is CJ to the Pelicans. I I think that that completely changes the way Zion thinks about them, the way their fans think about them. No longer is it a, can we salvage this? It's a, okay, we're growing something real. Um, Even at way less than full strength, without our superstar, we were exciting. We we put the best team in the league to the test. So I I think that long-term is the most significant. And I think short-term, it's got to be Dinwiddie. I mean... The Mavs just beat the Suns, and Dinwiddie was yeah, he on just fire. absolutely balled in Game Seven. Uh, he was balling. I mean, haven't seen Przingis do that in the playoffs. No when Dinwiddie's was... doing this to the crowd, you know it's you know <laughs> yeah. something's terrible. He put it on him. Yeah. I mean, he was a microwave. That's what they were calling him. But yeah. All right. Um, off-season move with the biggest impact: Celtics bringing back Al Horford and sending away Kemba and a pick for him. Miami letting Oladipo rehab on their roster all season to unleash him in the postseason. Suns bringing in the reliable backup bigs in JaVale and Bismack. Um, those were the only three I had, unless you wanted to add a potential fourth. I'm trying to think. What were what were some big offseason moves? I mean, I moves? think after what we just saw, it's a it's a clear take the cake, Al Horford, right? We don't even, yeah, it's, we don't oh, need abs- to absolutely. And and it is it is crazy. Again, I, I often am, am guilty of thinking that big men are are washed once it looks like it's harder for them to move, but it's crazy the difference Al Horford on the Sixers playing with Embiid in the front line versus Al Horford, part of the defense that he knows and loves in 
Boston, night and day. That was the biggest move, and I'm happy for him. I mean, and I, I'm not even on social media, and I know that, that his wife is on social media all day for the last five years saying, we loved it, and we love it in Boston, and then we past tense loved it in Boston and hated it in Philly, and now, thank the good Lord, we are back in Boston. Oh, wow, okay. That's, that's nice to hear. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah, Al Horford, I mean, you weren't wrong to think he was washed. He would look terrible in Philadelphia. He was shipped to OKC. He was sat. He was literally rested for the last 35 games of the season, albeit because he helped too much that they were just like, please don't help us win. Uh, but it just he, he had stopped playing basketball. And then you're like, all right, well, now what? And then the Celtics gave up a first-round pick, and everyone's talking about, wow, you gave up a first-round pick to take on Al Horford, and then he comes back and he's like the perfect glue guy for this team. Yeah, I so, mean, I do, I do think that the giving up of the of the first round pick was to get rid of Kemba, but you're right that I'm with you in right, overlooking right. how essential Horford was in in that deal. All right, this is a. Uh, I mean, but that actually, I... give me give me a second before we move on. What is this this Celtics move that they do where they groom a big man that's great for their system, be it Horford or Tice or someone, and then basically let someone else pay them, not deal with it contract wise. And then after they're mediocre somewhere else, just bring them back again, and they're back to form. It's like I, I they they have a nice little system where's, going. Where's there. Rob Williams going? No, Rob Williams is signed. So yeah, he's no, yeah, he's he's dead. But yeah, it's it's gonna be whoever like their next random like white big off the bench that like gets overpaid All somewhere. Right. Baines, if Baines comes back. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully it's not Grant Williams either. Hopefully that's yeah, a yeah. coincidence, coincidence and not a trend situation. Yep. I yep. said. I said on my last pod that this was the most likable uh, Boston Celtics team that I've ever seen. I I am a Boston hater um, and a and a Kyrie fan. So when oh, Kyrie was hate this team. there, it is it is hard to hate this team now. It it really is. I I like their coach. I like their players. Marcus Smart's not my favorite. He's a little polarizing. It's really just the the, the city of Boston and the the franchise historically. I am I am trained to root against, but they're a likable team. Tatum. Brown, Rob Williams, when he comes back, it's great seeing him so hype on the bench. He seems like, based on not much, uh, the kind of guy who, you know, it could be hard for him during an injury, feeling like you're isolated away from the team. Look at him there cheering. So it's another reason it's great to have Horford. I'm sure that he's a huge mentor to, to Rob and others. All right, a perfect transition to our next question. This involves Tatum. Duke alumni having the best postseason not named Jason Tatum, because that would be an obvious answer. Everyone's talking about Tatum. We don't need to talk about Tatum. Uh, who's having the best postseason not named Jason Tatum? And then also Duke alumni, because you are a Duke alum. Yep. Brandon, in- Brandon Ingram. Zion, for realizing he has a legitimate team around him. J.J. Redick and his media stock rapidly rising. Uh, he was calling one of the games, and then he had that first take clip that went viral uh and grayson allen who played a ton in the wake of middleton's injury I grayson allen's this. a real nba player even though he didn't have a great <laughs> he uh, is last i mean even though i'm a dookie so i'm a little biased i love this question and look at it's like it's a legitimate question you named four really real things that happen and i'm having a hard time pick obviously i've talked about ingram enough you know how i feel about him i think the answer here is J.J. Redick. I've loved him on his podcast, but there's a big difference between, you know, a, a podcast and being a, a big part of ESPN First Tank and doing a great job calling games. So we've seen, 
you know, not everyone loved Reggie, but he's good. We've seen people straight up hate on Chris Webber. And players come in, and they're, they're good. Grant Hill has been good. But J.J. Redick, a few games in, and he's already great. And he's already doing the uh, the the playoffs, big playoff matchups. I'm, I'm impressed with J.J. Redick. He's probably my pick. Good for Grayson Allen, though. I don't think I've ever in my whatever, 20, 25 some odd years of watching basketball, seen a home crowd sarcastically cheer on a home player and it worked so effectively. That was wild after Grayson obviously got booed hard in Chicago because he, he fouled Caruso hard, injured him earlier in the season, and then he comes back home to Milwaukee and gets sarcastically booed, starts laughing, and goes off for 27 one game, maybe 23 the next, both efficient, look great. I I would I think my pick for this one would be Zion for realizing he has a legitimate team around him. But granted, we've talked about the Pelicans plenty, so I don't <clears> need right, to get that's, into it. That's the All only right. reason I danced, yeah. Alright, I think this is gonna be the last question I'm gonna ask you, Austin. Uh telecast crew, this is ties in nicely with the Reddick talk. Telecast crew you get most and least excited for in the playoffs. I'm going to call out some names, and then you could say most and least excited. I'll, I'll, call, I'll call out all the names first, and then you can respond to whichever ones you please. Uh, the Breen, Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson crew. The Doris Burke and Mark Jones crew. Richard Jefferson with whoever he's with. Ian Eagle when he's calling games. Uh, Spiro Ditas and Grant Hill are those NBA TV games. And then we, of course, have Hubie Brown on a lot of these games. Uh, so who do you I'm, get most excited? I'm probably excited in the minority that I really like Hubie Brown. I know he's a little bit older and slower these days, but he describes the game in such a simplified way that it's it's so helpful. I hope people actually listen to him. He is he is teaching by far the most when he goes. I in a blowout game, there's no doubt that Jeff Van Gundy is is the best because you can watch when it doesn't matter. And in a close game, sometimes I think he can be bad even even though he is always pretty funny. I are I was shocked to see that in the uh, in the conference finals, he was announced, but not with his normal team of, of uh, Breen and Mark Jackson. He has a different team. I think it's with Kevin Harlan and maybe Reggie Miller, Kevin Harlan and someone else. So I was I was surprised by that. Um, but I'll I'll let you you pick your favorite announcer combo because I, all I will say is the difference between ESPN and TNT is night and day. Uh, ESPN yep. sucks. That's, the, that, that's and, the best take of this. That's yeah. the best difference. That, the I mean, games is, on yeah. TNT is so much better. You get so much. Yes, we're getting Chuck. That that's just the best yes. part of it. It's a I those four guys like the amount that I listen to them and like laugh at and, and with them. It's like it's sad to say, but I'm like those are among like my closest twenty friends. You know, like I love <laughs> love hanging out with the four of them. <laughs> I was about to say it's like almost like being friends with them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I disagree on the Hubie thing. I don't I don't I just think Hubie talks a little bit too much. It's like when the game's starting, it's like what what we have here is two seconds lining up for the tap. <laughs> he's he's really so descriptive. Gonna, Let's call what it. What you are gonna see coming up here is the, the ref is gonna bounce the ball twice, he's gonna launch it up in the air, and then two guys are gonna jump for it, and then that's the first possession of the game. <laughs> Hubie. <laughs> oh my god, no. Uh. I love him. I disagree, but I'm dying. Um, 
Yeah, Iron Eagle, most underrated. Richard Jefferson, most up and coming, I would say. Yeah, I'd love to good. get Richard Jefferson and JJ on, but they're two color guys. They don't have like a play by play. I love, 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 love. Call me Drake, Doris Burke. Oh, of course. I, I love her too. Now that you are taking She's a step amazing. back, I, I have a, now that you have me thinking about a potential uh, Richard Jefferson, JJ Reddick combo, because. You know, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, they get to both be color commentary. Neither of them described. That's right. all Breen. I, I actually think that you're right. Not only are they both up and coming and newish and killing it, but they would be a great combo together. That's a good team. Yep. That could yep. be like the star team with, you know, whoever that your could favorite be commentary is. Right. Yeah, with, with that the, could be the, a final. With the next Breen. Yeah, yeah, with the next oh, Breen. I, it might I be Iron Eagle. It could be Iron Eagle. Uh, that would I love that team all around. Iron Eagle is a RJ combo guy because he's been a Nets guy from back in the day. It is every time I hear Iron Eagle's voice, it just like takes me back to like the Meadowland and like Jason Kidd right, throwing right. alley oops off the backboard to K Martin. But uh, yep. yeah, I, love, I like yep. it. I grew up, we, we grew up with Iron Eagle. Um, oh yeah. The um, and you think about the way that the TV analyst guys are getting paid right now. Just like if you look at the football landscape right now. Brady's contract. I think Romo's getting like twenty million a year. Like these guys, these guys will pay up eventually. Will pay up for like a high level NBA booth. So maybe RJ and JJ can make a ton of money doing that. I I think that would be I would be great, and it helps grow. You know JJ's brand. He's all he's across all media platforms. Yep. All right. Anything else we need to talk about? Or I think we talked about a lot. This was delightful. Yeah, I think we should do this. you know, end of playoff awards too. Let's check Love in. Love it. I mean, we could, we could, we could pod if we have time between now and then. But definitely towards the end of the season, let's do a end of playoff awards. That's something that the NBA is missing, so we will fill in the gap for them. I I do think Wait, they're missing that. I saw the that NBA they announced, say- yeah, a Magic and a Bird award. It's a Western and Eastern Conference Finals Player of the Conference Finals award. Oh, okay, that that's great. I'm I'm all for that. I do think there should is Giannis also be. Qualify? Is Giannis going to win or is it Tatum? No, it's it's neither because it ha- it's only of the conference finals, so it would have to be a Celtics or a a Heat guy in the East, and it would have oh. to be. You know, yeah. So, but I'm I'm with you. I think that's too limiting. I think that it they should give that's all so playoff stupid. awards. I mean, it, it is great. Have, like, exactly. The way that even the playoff stats are excluded from all-time stats and LeBron is like the playoff leader in everything, like the fact that he's second all-time in playoff threes shows you that he's just a playoff leader in everything and those are not factored in and it doesn't make sense. 20-second timeout. I have two topics I quickly want to discuss. Let's do them. One, there, there are two rule changes. We can hit them really quickly. Mm-hmm. One is this. The awards, we, what we should have is an an all NBA playoff team. Like what we should have is, is like, you know how we have like all NBA, like we should have an all playoff team. Yes. Yes. The way they used to do all tourney teams when you were playing, playing growing up. Love that. Like Jimmy, like you get Jimmy Butler, Tatum, Giannis, all those guys, Luca. Those would probably be four locks right now. Yeah. I'm sold on that. Okay. Um, My second thing is, I have a real problem with the the home court advantage thing, and I think we should go back to 2-3-2 in the series. Here's my point. Uh, Game 1, Game 5, and Game 7 are the three most important games in a series. If if a series is going to go seven games, I would say Game 1 to start out the series, 
game five and a potential two two. Well, it would it would have to be two two. And I mean, it could be three one, and then you get it back to three two. Um, but game five and a potential two two, and then game seven and a potential three three. Those are the three most important games. I would say the fourth most important game is game three in a potential one one situation, right? I, I mean, but I, if you I think, think about it. The home team gets all, like, the, the higher seed gets all three most important games, in my opinion. And if we with, switch back to 2-3-2, two, two, you could get the away team getting games three and five, and the home team's getting one and seven. I mean, I, I strongly agree with the weighted importance of game, especially game five, which is so important in series. And you're right, it is it is the home team's game, as as I sort of think it should be. The only reason that I... I'm not so big on 2-3-2 is because I felt like they were doing it largely to accommodate for travel and that it still puts the away team in such a bind because you're forced to win three games in a row, which is so hard to do against the same team 48 minutes a night and knowing in game one that you have to do it in three games. There's, there's, You pretty much can't win a series as the away team unless you bang three games in a row in the middle of the series, which is tough when they've already seen all of your stuff for two games. Um, so, I mean, I think no matter what, home court what advantage is going to be a big advantage. You take one out of two on the front end. You win two you, out of two. So you mean you have home. to take one out of two on the front end in your situation? Yeah, but, but, but if you don't take one out of two on the front end and then you come and, and you go into this situation, if, if you didn't take one out of two on the front end in today's game, you're even more screwed having only two out of the next three at home. So, so I think, so let's say you don't take one out of the two in the front end on the road the way it is now. Then you win both two at home because that's more reasonable to be able to win two games. Now you're 2-2 two, two in what feels like an anybody-can-win series, best of three, and you know you forfeited that game seven opportunity, so you're going to have to either steal five or seven, one of the two toughest games on the road. And I think you put yourself pretty much in that same situation with the 2-3-2, except now you have to win one of the ones on the road to start, and you're going to have to go win a game seven. But I, um, it's it's not going to be a great situation for the road team either way, especially when you see what, what goes down in the Boston Garden, and you know that it really matters where you're playing those those games five, yeah. seven. It's a t- it's a tough one. I don't know. I don't. I'm, I don't know. Probably not changing. I was also thinking the other way in direction from you. I was like thinking like, have we gone full circle on the travel thing where we realize it's now easier on the bodies and the minds of these players to not be traveling as much and going back and forth. It's better for the environment. It's it's more cost efficient. It's all those things. Should we just go back to the two three two? So so the that's road, a good point. So I'm th- I'm thinking you don't have to accommodate for travel anymore because it's so much easier. But now that now right, that we right. understand more that we should be just being more reasonable and accommodating both for players' bodies and the environment. You're right. That could come back into into play. And the way that the NBA likes to treat its players and the environment and get the good press that they do, that would be in line with with what they do. All right. Well. We know Adam listens to the pod, so I'll let him know that I'll text him and say, hey, right at the end of the pod, there's something that you really need to hear. Yeah, so let, let Adam know that when he gets to, to hour one, uh, I'm sorry, minute 67, minute 73, that, that that's when he should start taking notes about the future. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that'll wrap up what we talked about today. Um, playoff awards were a lot of fun, rule changes. We don't need to talk about the projecting series moving forward. There's every other podcast and NBA outlet is doing that. 
And that's why today on The Advantage, we did an NBA podcast centered around a ton of topics that hopefully not many other people are talking about, but still really fun to listen to. So thank you guys for listening. Austin, thank you for joining us today. And we will talk soon. It's been my pleasure. I I hope I get uh, another title promotion next time I'm on.